Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Good morning. You're with Breakfast with Lily and Ryan. It has been a year since Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine for a full-scale invasion. Ukraine is now front and center of a renewed great power rivalry between the West and Russia. And latest reports are saying Russia has stepped up hostilities ahead of the one-year mark of the invasion to deplete Ukrainian units, according to Ukraine's military. So there appears to be no real signs of a way out of the conflict as relations between Russia and Ukraine's Western allies worsen with no end in sight. For a deeper analysis on the situation, we're joined by John Keane, Professor of Politics at the University of Sydney. Good morning. Welcome to the show, John. Good morning, Lindley. I'm very glad and honoured to be with you. I'm calling you from Sydney. Oh, okay. So now let's talk about uh, what's happening in uh, Russia, Ukraine. A year on, the war is still waging on. What has changed? Well, it has, of course, uh, the dynamic has worsened, but the narrative remains the same. It's an American-led narrative. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joe Biden said earlier this week, Kiev stands, Ukraine stands, democracy stands. So this is represented as a war uh, for democracy and freedom against the brutal barbarism and fascism of Putin's Russia. Uh, In this, EU President Ursula von der Leyen backs up Biden, Zelensky, whether he sets foot. Remember, he's a former Mm -hmm. actor and comedian Mm -hmm. who gets standing applause as a champion of democracy. Mm -hmm. So all of this uh, narrative continues. I would want to say that Um, It should be remembered that in war, government propaganda is total truth is that not all democracies have signed on to this story. India and Latin American democracies are the great exception to this. And I would also say, as a historian of democracy, that it's far from certain that a a democratic Ukraine is going to emerge from under the rubble Mm. of this uh, terrible war. War historically has been democracy's great enemy, and I think Ukraine is no exception to this rule. And there are some reasons for this. Mm -hmm. Um, As each day of this war passes, parts of Ukraine are beginning to look like Syria, I mean, ruined uh, by war. It's also the case that Ukraine citizens are living under permanent emergency rule. If you've got to have a democracy, you've got to have an independent judiciary, you've got to have a toothy parliament. You've got to have robust journalism that's willing to speak truth to power. But all of these preconditions of democracy aren't in place. Uh, Mm -hmm. So as this war unfolds, 12 months Mm -hmm. it began Mm -hmm. today, unless there is a halt to this war, Ukraine, I think, will come to resemble a closed society. It's like when two wrestlers are locked in conflict, their twisted faces begin to look the same. Mm -hmm. Their grunts sound similar. Well... Although the Zelensky government is not willing to admit this, it's just possible that it's going to look more like the enemy uh, Mm. of Russia because it's a closed uh, society, because it's experiencing, its people are experiencing emergency rule under terrible conditions. John, you were saying that, uh, talking about Western allies, as recent as uh, in the past few weeks, we've seen them, the number of Western allies rally behind Ukraine with promises of sending military aid and scaling up arms production. But really, is that a means to an end? And would you see that as a sign that it's becoming a global war? 
Well, it's a war, 12 months um, into it. It's a war in which, yes, weapons are pouring into Ukraine. It's very good for the arms manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we can say is that sanctions, um, which have been applied, you know, travel mm-hmm. bans, asset freezes, these sanctions are not working. I mean, the uh, supporters of Ukraine often see Russia as a kind of flimsy house of cards, you know, that can be demolished with the flick of a wrist. I, I think this uh, underestimates the resilience of Putin's Russia. This is not a defense of what uh, Putin is doing, but it's a cold analysis of its resilience. This regime uh, of Putin is smart. It's heavily armed. It's not a dumb autocracy, a stupid tyranny. The Russian economy, which is about the size of Australia's, it's less than Italy's and Canada's, hasn't shrunk. Mm. In fact, in the last 12 months, imports and exports um, have shown uh, remarkable buoyancy. Mm. This state, despite the arms going into Ukraine and despite the sanctions, this state is in the hands of a Putin group that's rather skilled at crushing political alternatives. Remember, Russia is also a country Mm. where over 50% of the population is directly dependent in their everyday lives on state spending and and connections, what Russians call blood. And it shouldn't be underestimated, Lindley, that as the prominent Russian radio host, Alexei Venediktov, has said recently, probably two-thirds of the Russian population are resigned to supporting this war. They're, as he puts it, indifferently loyal. And many Russians, you know, buy the Putin line because they think the United States is trying to settle old scores with Russia, and they think that NATO is indeed a threat to Russian security. So arms alone and sanctions alone uh, 12 months into this war are not working. So do you think we will ever see uh, any form of accountability from those accused of carrying out these uh, alleged crimes, you know, efforts to e- even prolong the war? Can Russian President Putin himself be forced to bear any responsibility? Well, I can say that, um, Lindley, that a sceptic or a cynic would say that Tony Blair and George W. Bush never faced accountability for their crimes mm-hmm. in Iraq. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were forced to suffer shame by mm-hmm. public opinion. They had shoes thrown at them, and I think that's probably the fate of Putin. Uh, there are, of course, champions of Ukraine who say that Russia is so steel-tough that the only language it's in is weapons and war. But if you think about it, if you think about bringing the regime to accountability, then logically Russia is going to have to be militarily defeated. And if you think about it a little bit more, the defeat of Russia will logically require taking Moscow. That's the only way to regain every centimeter of territory of Ukraine, to extract reparations and to convene war crimes tribunals. But let's pause. Because Mm -hmm. taking the war all the way to Moscow, a bit like Napoleon tried to do in 1812, would almost certainly arouse deeply patriotic memories of the Nazis' invasion of Russia and a large-scale fight back supported by millions of Russians. In this talk of war crimes and in pouring weapons into Ukraine, there's also the danger, it would be an unintended consequence, that a much more brutal leadership could come to power in Moscow. Uh, In Moscow, they're called cannibals. Imagine, you know, the boss of the Wagner group, an ex-prisoner, Evgeny Prigozhin. Imagine him as as president. Mm -hmm. And imagine the collapse of Russia 
144 million people. How many, how many millions of refugees uh, would flow out of a collapsed uh, Russia? How many nuclear weapons smuggled out of the country? The point is that there's going to have to be a peace compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to have to be more dramatic than, say, the German foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, saying Russian troops should withdraw from Ukraine. Actually, what's going to be needed is a kind of uh, South Korean or West German, you know, demilitarized zone with an armistice. But how that happens is, is one of the great questions, I think, 12 months into this. Do you think China would be the one brokering it, the compromise? Well, what is compromise? Uh, perhaps we, we could say uh, that uh, compromise, there's an old German proverb, compromise is the art of cutting a cake to ensure that, that each party is, is sure that they have the biggest slice. Um, compromise is, I think, the only alternative to this war. It's the only way out, the only way in which I think Ukraine is going to get itself out from under the rubble. So who will broker this? Uh, clearly not the United States or the EU. Uh, Russia will not have that. Right. And certainly not the existing Ukraine leadership. In a recent BBC interview, Zelensky says that there can be uh, no compromise with Russia because right. there's no trust. And that, as you say, uh, Lindley, leaves China. Well, we know that in Munich uh, recently, Wang Yi said that China will soon uh, table a proposal. And it's clear from his visit to Moscow now that China wants to play the role of a peacemaker. It certainly has an interest in the massive rebuilding of Ukraine. Um, It's trying to avoid being seen as completely aligned with Moscow, which is why, for instance, it's so far kept silent about Russia's invitations for Xi Jinping to visit uh, Moscow. My prediction is that China will soon table a position paper. It will contain what's called the three no's, no alliance with Russia, no confrontation, no targeting of any third party. It's going to propose a ban on nuclear weapons, a ban on attacks on nuclear facilities and the beginning of peace talks. John, lots to cover, but we'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you very much for your time. We've been speaking with John Keane, Professor of Politics at University of Sydney and WZB Berlin Social Science Centre. Thank you very much. Thank you for giving me the chance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.